following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Jan. Beautifully read. Uh, this is uh, part of our series in Ephesians this morning, carrying on in that series uh, through this book of Ephesians. And uh, as you heard, we are in chapter 3, and uh, this is just such a, a powerful passage this morning. This is my favorite passage in the book. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. So I feel like this morning it's very personal for me. This is not just preaching, but just, uh, just a, a, there's a richness to uh, this passage, and it's been a, an important part of my own spiritual journey. So uh, we will dive into it in just a minute, but to set the scene for you this morning, and uh, just to get us in the, in the zone, uh, I'm going to play a video clip. So this is a clip from the movie Inside Out. Who's seen that? Came out a few years ago, yeah, great animated movie. So let's watch the screen. Here's a clip. <laughs> it's a good movie, eh? Makes you want to see the rest of the movie. You could go home and rent it. It's a good family film. So uh, if you haven't seen it, just briefly, that, that movie is the story of this girl, Riley, who goes through a really difficult transition. She moves cities, moves across the country. But the whole movie is told from the perspective of her emotions. So hence, inside out. So, so the main characters in the movie are Riley's emotions, the five main emotions. I don't know who, the, who decided they're the main ones, but joy, uh, anger, disgust, sadness. Uh, what was the other one? Fear. Yeah, so those five, and, and it's the story of these five emotions kind of working together and sometimes working against each other to try and help Riley navigate this whole transition that she's, she's going through. It's a fun movie. And I think one of the things that it reminds us of, one of those just basic ideas is that who we are on the outside is very connected to who we are on the inside. And in fact, you go as far as to say who, who we are externally is governed by and controlled by who we are on the inside. And you can be going through all of these experiences and circumstances and challenges and, and highs and lows in life, but our ability to navigate those and move through them well and move through them in, in a healthy way and positively is really determined by how it's going on the inside and who we are in our, in our inner lives, in our emotional health, our mental health, and we would even say our spiritual health. And you know this, right? I mean, we, we, we instinctively know this, I think, because you know you can be doing all these things in life and you're juggling all these priorities and you, you're balancing all these commitments and doing all this and you're advancing in, in, in life and work and relationships and all of that. But if it's not good on the inside, 
right? And maybe that's some of you. If it's not good on the inside, if it's not going well on the inside, and in, inside is a mess, if, if your emotional, mental, spiritual life is a mess, then it doesn't matter how much you try on the outside, eventually the cracks are going to show, right? Eventually. You, you can try and hold it together, and, and maybe everyone around you thinks you're holding it together, but eventually the cracks are going to show. And at best, you're going to feel a real disconnection between your external life and your internal life, and that's just going to kind of diminish you as a person because you'll feel fractured. Um, and at worst, it brings you to a point of breakdown. And this is how people just reach a state of breakdown, mental, emotional, spiritual breakdown, because you can't sustain that kind of split. You can't sustain that kind of total disconnection between your external life and your internal life forever. Eventually, it catches up with you. Eventually, it's going to find you out. And so this connectivity between our, our external life and our internal life is, is so fundamental to who we are. And it's foundational to what Paul is saying in this passage. Because what Paul is, is about to do uh, in, in the next chapter, at the beginning of chapter 4 and onwards, and we'll get to this next week, he is going to launch into talking a lot about our external lives. Okay, so he is going to get into all of these uh, ways of describing the Christian life. And, and how we live in relationships, and how we live at, in our home life, and our church life, and interpersonally, and all of these things to do with how we live and how we walk as a Christian. That's the whole second half of Ephesians, is that. That's where we're going to start next week. But Paul knows there's no point in going there. There's no point in any of that if it's not happening on the inside, if it's not going well on the inside. I mean, you can go out and try and live this moral life and you can try to be a good Christian and you can try and develop these virtues externally. But if, if we are not healthy on the inside, if we're not being renewed by God, if we're not being filled by Him, then we're just whistling in the wind. We, we, we are dead in the water. We're not going to get anywhere. In fact, it's going to be worse because you're going to go out there and try and do all these things and try and make a really good effort. And where are you going to end up? Depressed, frustrated, sad, you know, angry at God. And then you're going to feel worse on the inside than you did before. And so Paul is saying, before we get to that, before we get to external life stuff, I want to talk to you about your inner life. I want to talk to you about how it's going in your heart. This is what we're going to be talking about today. He says, I want to talk to you about your inner life, your soul, your heart, what's really happening internally, and I want to help you see how God wants to work in that place. He calls it your innermost being, our inner being. That's where we need to start. That's the source of transformation. And the way that Paul writes this, the way that he frames all this is simply as a prayer. And I think that's significant, that you, you, you kind of get the sense at this point in the letter, he just puts down his pen and just lifts his eyes to the Lord and just says, God, I can't do that for these people. I can't change their hearts. Just like I'm standing here this morning, very aware of that. I can't change your hearts. I can't make you, I mean, I can talk and I will for the next 30 minutes. Let's be honest, it'll probably be 40 and, you know, I can do, we can, and we can talk all through, and we can, you know, we can talk about the Greek words, and we can do all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, that's not going to mean anything unless the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart. That's not going to mean anything unless God comes and moves and opens your heart to what the reality is that's being spoken about here. So I, I'm, and I shared this with the prayer team this morning, I'm more aware than usual this morning of my dependence on the Holy Spirit to take these words, my words, God's word, and 
penetrate our hearts with us in a new way. And I just hope your hearts are open to that. I hope your hearts are open and soft to receive that. In fact, why don't we just pause for a moment and pray before we dive in. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come now. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Lord, we want to hear from you and we want to receive all that you have to give us this morning. We want to be filled. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts may be pleasing to you. Amen. Okay, so there are two things, just two simple things this morning, two things that Paul prays. This whole prayer is really just broken down into two things. There's, there's nothing really new here. There's nothing complicated here. It's very simple. Uh, I just want to walk through these things with you. And as much as I'm preaching this morning, I'm praying. I'm just praying that God just press and just the Holy Spirit does the work that he wants to do here. So the first is simply Paul prays that the Ephesians would be strengthened by the Spirit's power. And that's what I'm praying for you, that you would be strengthened by the Spirit's power. Listen to what he says in verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that's God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So notice that this power Paul is talking about has a Trinitarian shape to it. This power has a Trinitarian shape to it. That is... The Father and the Son and the Spirit are all here. And they're all involved in what Paul's saying. Anytime in Scripture that you come across a passage where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all show up together in one place, it's always significant. Think of the baptism of Jesus. It's always significant when the three persons of the Trinity all show up together. And they do in the space of these short two verses. So this power that Paul's talking about, it comes from God the Father. It originates with him. The power doesn't originate with us. This is so, so vital for us to grasp because there's a lot of talk today about personal power. There's a lot of talk about the power within. I mean, you only need to Google personal power, power within, and you'll get all kinds of hits and seminars and webinars and podcasts about tapping into your own personal power. I mean, you can go and spend $2,000, listen to Tony Robbins tell you about unleashing the power within. That's a huge, there's a whole industry built around this, personal power and how we can unleash our power, live out our power, get in touch with our power. And so it's easy for us as Christians to come to this passage and assume that's what Paul must be talking about here. Nothing could be further from the truth. What Paul is saying is, no, 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 this power is not coming from within you. Don't think for a moment that you can tap into some personal power that you possess. The source of this power is God. This, this power originates outside of you. It is external to you. That's why Paul starts the whole prayer by saying, I bow my knee before the Father. He's not just saying, I conjure up some personal power. He's saying, I bow my knee before the Father. It's His power, not ours. It's His strength, not ours. In fact, the first thing we need to do if we truly want to take hold of the power that God has for us is acknowledge our own powerlessness. That might sound really counterintuitive, but acknowledging our own powerlessness of acknowledging God, I don't have any power or I can't change myself. I can't transform my own life. I can't bring about the kind of inner renewal that really needs to happen. I can't do that. Only you can do that. Let me read you a quote by Henry Nouwen, who sums this up beautifully. He says, You want so much to heal yourself 
fight your temptations and stay in control, but you cannot do it yourself. Every time you try, you are discouraged. So you must acknowledge your powerlessness. Simply start by admitting that you cannot cure yourself. You have to say yes fully to your powerlessness in order to let God heal you. I don't know about you. I find that to be a very freeing truth. I don't find that depressing. I don't find that debilitating. I find that freeing because it means I can come to the Lord and say, God, I can't do this. I can't. I can't fix my life. I can't fix my situation. I can't make myself a better person. I can't make myself a better Christian. I can't renew my own heart. I can't transform my own life. I can't do it, God. It it is only you who can do this. On my own, I'm utterly powerless. That's why the first step in Alcoholics Anonymous, you go along to an AA meeting, what's the first of the 12 steps? Admit your powerlessness over alcohol. That was started by Christians, that organization. They were onto something. It starts by acknowledging we can't do it ourselves. We cannot. And it's only when we come to that point of recognizing I can't do this, I can't change my heart, that we really open ourselves up to receive the power that's there from God. It's when we can admit we can't do it. Then God says, okay, now I'm ready to work in your life. Now I'm ready to pour my power in. When we come to the end of our resources, we come to the end of ourselves, then God says, now I'm ready to pour my power that comes from me into your life. We just have to get out of the way of it sometimes. So this power comes from God, and then it comes by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power by his Spirit, by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit it mediates this power to us. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. We've talked about this in previous passages. You have the same Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead now residing within you. Uh, but again, we need to be careful to distinguish. That doesn't mean the source of the power is you. There is this power within you, but it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. So it's not some personal power that you can harness. This is not like the force in Star Wars. You know, where if you just hold out your hand, the lightsaber comes to you. It's not that kind of power. This is not a power that you can bend to your will. It's not a power that you can use to your own ends. This is the power of the Holy Spirit belongs to God. And ultimately, that power serves God's purposes in our lives. This power is not given to us just to help us achieve our own life goals or to make us comfortable people, make us contented and have lives of convenience. This, this power is given to us to serve the purposes of God in our lives. It is from him. It belongs to him. It returns to him, but he places it within us. He places incredible power within us, but it serves his purposes. And what are those purposes? Paul describes it in verse 17. This is where he brings in Christ. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, that's an unusual phrase because you say, well, I, th- I thought Christ already did dwell in my heart. I'm a Christian. Why is Paul praying for these Christians that Christ would dwell in their hearts when Christ dwelt in their heart the moment they became a Christian? Well, let me give you a little analogy. Uh, when Anna and I first bought our house, it was pretty old-fashioned. It still is, really. 
but it's a work in progress. And we bought this house, and you know, it didn't. It just didn't really re- reflect who we are. It was it was old fashioned, and parts of it really dilapidated. The wallpaper was really really old fashioned. The carpet was kind of wearing away, and the bathroom was really dingy. And so, with the, the the modest budget that we had, we set about making some changes. And with the help of some friends, we painted the upstairs, uh, got it plastered, uh, we we recarpeted, and we remodeled the bathroom. And so. There's still a lot that we would like to do in that place, but it feels more like home to us now than it did when we first bought it. We already owned it. When we first purchased it, we owned the house at that point, but it didn't feel like home until we'd done these things. And in a similar way, when you become a Christian, Christ at that moment takes up residence in your life. At that moment, he comes to dwell within you. So if you're a Christian, Jesus is living within you by the power of his spirit. But what this word means to dwell, it doesn't just mean that he resides. It means to make yourself at home. That's the idea, to really settle down. And that's what Jesus intends to do in our lives. He doesn't just want to dwell there. He wants to make himself at home there. He wants to increasingly make himself at home there. And that means he starts, as soon as he comes into our life, he starts to renovate our hearts if we're open to it. He starts to work on the inside of our lives. He starts to lead us deeper and deeper into the grace of God. He starts to lead us deeper and deeper into the presence of God and make us more aware of the presence of God in our lives. He leads us deeper into the power of the Spirit, leads us deeper into His Word, leads us deeper into His, into his truth, into His peace, into His grace. And He leads us to become more like Christ. This is God's purpose in our life, is to conform us to the image of the Son, to conform us to Jesus. That's God's intention. So that's the reason that God gives us his incredible divine power. is not just so that we'd have a quick fix to our situation. Not just so that you'd say, hey, God, I really need your help in this moment. I need that power. Well, yes, we can pray and God does answer prayer. But ultimately, Paul says, the reason that God gives us this power is so that Jesus would come to dwell more and more in your heart. So that Christ would take up greater and greater residence and make our heart more and more his home, that he would renovate our lives, that he would conform us to himself. The reason that we have this power is so that Jesus would become more and more dominant in our lives, that our lives would reflect him more and more and and not us, that he would live out his life and his purposes and his agenda and his kingdom through us, that in a sense, we would die. We would become less and less our old identity would, and Jesus would become more and more. Paul says, that's why God gives you this power. That's why he pours it into your life. That's his purpose. This was summed up beautifully, I think, in an old hymn by Jean Sophia Piggott. She says this, Make my life a bright outshining of thy life that all may see thine own resurrection power mightily put forth in me. Ever let my heart become yet more consciously thy home. That's the idea. That's the idea that Paul's driving at. That's the power that he's talking about. The power of the Spirit that Christ would ever more consciously make his home in our hearts. So let's keep that in mind as we're praying for God to unleash his power in our life, which we should. We should be praying for this power. We should be asking God for his power, but not just so he can make us more comfortable people. Not just so he can help me fulfill my 10-year financial plan, but so that Christ may dwell 
in my heart through faith. That's the end goal. And we've got to keep that goal in mind as we open our lives up, pray for the immense power of God to be poured out in our lives. So this is what Paul prays. He says, I pray that you'd know the power of God. Maybe you know it a little, maybe you've experienced a fraction of it, but I pray that God would pour it out in increasing measure, the power of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And then he prays the second prayer, the second part of his prayer for the Ephesians. And this starts halfway through verse 17. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, that's the saints, there's that word saints again that we've talked about, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I think here really we get to the end of, of what I can possibly say and teach. You know, because words, I mean, how, the problem is that this is something that we all know already in our heads right i mean who doesn't know god loves them who doesn't know god loves me if you're a christian if you've been around church for any length of time if you've gone through sunday school isn't this the first thing you learned god loves me and we all sung jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so and so we come to something like this and we tick it off because well i know that and so let me move on to the deeper truths let me move on to the hard stuff let me move on to the meaty stuff i've got that one sorted out and yet what Paul's saying is, I don't just want you to know it in your head. I know you know it. I know that you know God loves you. But I want you to grasp it. I want you to grasp this deeply in your heart. I want you to be able to grasp something of the extent of the love that God has for you. How wide it is. How long, how high, how deep. I want that to somehow get from just being an intellectual truth that you can nod your head and say, yes, I know, to being something that takes hold of your heart so powerfully that you become a different person. Because Paul says, if you really knew, if you had any idea of just how big this love is, we think we know, we think we, but what we see is just a fraction of it. And Paul says, man, if you only knew how loved you are, if you only knew how big this thing is, called the love of God, you would be so radically changed. You would be so radically different from the inside out because the love of God would just radiate out from you. But it's hard because we all sit here and we, well, I want to know this love, but how do I do it? I can't grasp it. I can't, you know, how do I move forward with that? And there is a paradox to it because Paul says, uh, he even says in verse 19, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Well, that's a curious phrase. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? I mean, he's basically saying, I want you to know this thing that you really can't know. I want you to know this love, and by the way, you can't. So you just live with this, this paradox. How do, you, how do you do this? And the reality is we, we can't ever fully know the love of God. You just can't. You'll never get to the end of it. You, God's love is inexplicable. It's uncomprehensible. It's uncontainable. It is just so far beyond us. We have no reference point for it because it is unlike any other love we can experience. It's unlike any human love you'll ever experience. It is so far above us. You can't fully grasp it. You can never fully know it. 
But you can know it more than you do today. And this is the thing, right? You can know the love of God more tomorrow than you do today. You can know the love of God more in six months' time than you do right now. You can, you can know the love of God a lot more in five years' time than you do right now. And this is an area of our lives that we need to grow in. The love of God is not a little box that you tick to say, I know that truth because I learned that truth and I sang that song in Sunday school. The love of God is something we grow in over the course of our lives, just as you grow in other areas of your life. We are to grow in the love of God. Now, that doesn't mean God's love for us increases. He already loves us with a love that is just at its fullness. It couldn't be any greater. So his love is unchanging, but it's our comprehension of it. We're such weak vessels, we can't hold it, we can't contain it. But it's an area we can grow in to open ourselves more up to the love of God, to internalize more of the love of God, to allow it to go into some of the deeper places where the love of God has not yet gone. And I promise you, it will be at the heart of your transformation. This is where transformation comes from. It does not come from going out there and just trying to be a good Christian. It comes from deeply, deeply knowing that you are loved beyond measure by the king of the universe. The, the degree to which that sinks in determines the degree to which your life will be changed and transformed. Because the more you know you're loved, the more your heart is going to be enlarged to love to love God and love others in return. But it's out of a sense of our own belovedness. So how do you do this? I really don't know, other than to do exactly what Paul does here and ask for it. I mean, isn't that what he does? He just asks. He just gets on his knees before the Father and says, I pray that they would know it. I pray they'd know this love. And I think all we can do is ask God that he would reveal that love to us more and more. And he does it in, in a range of ways and different experiences and different times. There's a guy named R.A. Torrey who lived back in the 19th century. And he asked this, he prayed this prayer. He just asked God simply one day. He was reading the Bible one day. He was, he was in, in scripture. He was having time with the Lord. And he just, he just asked and prayed, God, show me your love. Just show me how much you love me. And he had this experience of being utterly overwhelmed by the love of God, just totally consumed by it, just, just utterly enveloped by a phenomenal experience of the love of God, so much so that he had to ask God to stop. He just couldn't even handle the love, couldn't even handle the weightiness of the love. It was just too consuming. We, we actually can't stand in the presence of the love of God any more than we can stand in the presence of God's judgment. It's just too much for us, but it's too much in a beautiful way, but it's too much for us. Now, I've never had an experience that dramatic, and I may never have an experience that dramatic, and that's fine. I've had times, though, maybe you've had times, I've had times when God has broken through and just given me that renewed sense of his love in my life. I remember one time I'd had a pretty rubbish kind of week, and I just really wasn't walking with the Lord. I was disconnected from him and just, just pretty negative headspace. I remember I got to Thursday night, and I was home by myself, and I just sat down, I tried to get myself in some better headspace and try to reconnect my heart with the Lord. And I just had in that moment an overwhelming sense of God's love for me. Just not, not condemnation or judgment, but just his love. And the picture that came to my mind in that moment was the picture of the prodigal son. 
Some of you know the story from Luke 15, the prodigal son who comes home. And the moment he comes home, what does the father do? I read it again this morning. He throws his arms around him. Doesn't just hug him. He throws his arms around him and kisses him. And I had that sense of the father just embracing me in his love, just embracing me. And I had that sense, and I think it was the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure. It wasn't an audible voice, but just that sense of this is where you live always within my embrace. You never get outside this embrace. You're always in this embrace. Even when you don't feel like it, you're always in that embrace. And I've kept that with me and taken that with me and held on to that. And there's times when I feel really disconnected from God and disconnected from his love that I come back to that and I remind myself, I'm still in that embrace. I'm still the prodigal son. I am that son. I'm the son who came home bedraggled and unworthy and deserving only to be a slave. And his father threw his arms around him and said, my son, You were lost, now you're found. You were dead, now you're alive. And that's where I live every moment of the day. Whether I feel like it or not, whether I've lived like it or not, that's where I am. And I pray that for you. I really do. I pray, And it it may look different to you, to me. But I pray, and maybe just one or two moments over the course of your lifetime, but I pray that you would know it. I mean, you, I'm, I'm not one to tell you to chase after a whole lot of emotional experiences. You know me, right? You know that's not, my, that's not what I'm going to encourage you to do. But I pray that God would give you a deeper revelation of his love. I pray it for you. I don't know what it's going to look like for you, but I tell you what, you can ask for it, can't you? You can ask for it like Paul asks for it, and you can say, God, just help me to know this love. It's beyond knowledge, but help me to be filled with this love. Just give me a deeper sense of it. And you might be surprised what he does. You might be surprised what he does. God will do it in all kinds of ways. And even on a daily basis, we need to find those ways that will teach our hearts about the love of God. It'll look different from person to person. For me, one of those ways is music. Music's just got a way, I think, sometimes of getting past our rational defenses and into our bones, into our soul. And so sometimes it's the words of a song, it's, it's music that can just get the love of God into our hearts. There's a beautiful song by David Crowder called How He Loves. And uh, let me just read you one. The guys are going to sing it over communion, but I'll just read you one verse of it. It says, He is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Beautiful poetry there with which he describes the love of God. It's like we're, we're a tree and God's love is this wind that's blowing and we're just bent underneath the weightiness of it. God's love is this weighty, weighty thing. But again, not in a condemning way. It's a freeing thing. It's a freeing weight. So I pray you'd experience it. I pray that you would know the love of God. I pray that you would find the ways to teach your own heart, maybe through coming back to passages like this and just soaking yourself, marinating your soul in these passages that speak to you of the love of God. And above all, asking for it. Asking God, Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Ask God to give you a deeper grasp on his love. And the goal of all this Paul says the goal of this prayer where it's all heading is verse 19 and he simply says that you may be filled 
to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's another one of those just big superlative phrases, just like over the top, that you may be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God, that all the fullness of God might dwell in you. And again, Paul's not saying it's all about these one-time experiences. It's not just about this big being filled in the moment. Uh, It's not just this quick fix that he's praying for. It's not just purely an emotional buzz. But Paul's saying, I pray that over the course of your lifetime, you would know what it is to be more and more filled. Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Filled with a deeper grasp of the love of God because that is going to be the source of genuine transformation. As our hearts are renewed, we cannot think that we're just going to go out there and sort it out through modified behavior, through making changes on the outside. Paul says, this is where it's at. This is the engine room. And the more that you allow God to fill you with his power, the more you allow God to fill you with his love, the more you will be changed, but you'll be changed from the inside out. That's how God designed it. That's how we work. This is a prayer for me that's been really important and and, and an important part of my journey. Um, I've committed it to memory, so that's one of the things that has helped me, that I've locked this prayer in my mind so I know I've got it there whenever I need it. And I start every day with this prayer, sometimes on my knees, just as a way of symbolizing in my own heart exactly what Paul is saying. I bow my knee before the Father. There's something about Bowing the knee, physically sometimes, that symbolizes the posture of our heart, of our hearts being bowed and submitted before God. Sometimes I do that, and then I just pray this prayer to God. And sometimes I'll pause over particular phrases. You know, when when you've committed a scripture to memory, and then there's just different parts of it that sometimes stand out. Some, Some mornings there'll just be a particular line or even a particular word there, and that's just what I need to hover over for that day. And so I'll try and pray it slowly and prayerfully and just allow God to fill me afresh with his power and with his love that I might be filled. And some days I feel something and some days I feel nothing. Some days I experience something and some days I experience nothing. And I think I'm becoming more okay with that because I don't want to just be about how I respond to it. But I know that something's happening. Whether I feel it or not, sense it or not, I know that through asking God to do these things, something's happening in my life. God is renewing my heart and gradually filling me to the fullness that he desires for me. And if you're looking for for one way of making this practical in your life this morning, because I know this is big and broad and, and, and wide and deep, then start there. Just start by making this your morning prayer. Start by locking this into your mind Uh, Or even without, if you don't want to memorize it, just have it there and pray this each morning. Make these words your prayer. And I'll tell you one other thing that God has really pressed on my heart just in preparing this message, because it's been a familiar passage to me. But what I've realized is, up to this point, I've really only prayed it for me. I mean, isn't that just a revelation of how selfish I am? I've really just prayed this for me, and yet Paul's not praying it for himself. Who's he praying it for? The Ephesians. He he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he might strengthen you with this power. And so God's just said to me, again, just a prompting on my heart, not an audible voice, but just that sense of, well, who are you praying this for? This is not just about you, but who are you praying this for? And that's a challenging question for me, because to be honest right now, the answer is no one. But I'm convicted and I'm challenged. Who am I willing to say, I will get on my knees before the Father 
and pray that out of his glorious riches, he would strengthen them with power, that he would give them a deeper grasp on his love. I think this what may be what God is drawing some of us to this morning, is to be willing to cry out to God on behalf of another person, on behalf of your son or daughter, on behalf of your spouse, on behalf of a friend, on behalf of someone who is near to you, or maybe for some reason someone that God just drops into your head. But would you be willing to pray this prayer on behalf of someone else? I had a conversation just this last week after my preaching course on Tuesday night with a woman who was telling me about her son who's addicted to smoking, and I think that's been the latest in a long line of addictions. And she said, you know, up till now, I've just been praying, God, help him stop smoking. God, help him stop smoking. God, help him stop smoking. And she said just recently, she had started praying a deeper prayer for him. And I don't know whether she'd particularly used the words of this passage, but just praying that God would really get a hold of his life, work in his life in a deeper way than just the smoking. And she said, strangely enough, he came to me this last week and he said, Mum, I've just lost the urge for smoking. Funnily enough, strangely enough, he just lost the urge for smoking. And so she was so encouraged that maybe this prayer actually makes a difference. Now, again, we know God works in all sorts of ways. And sometimes he answers like that. Sometimes he answers in other ways. But there's a mother whose heart is encouraged because she found the courage to pray this prayer for her son or a prayer very much like it. And maybe God is just laying on your heart someone this morning, maybe someone who is close to you and you love them dearly. And God's saying, here is the burden I want you to carry for them to pray this prayer to me every morning for them. Yes, pray it for yourself. Yes, we need that infilling, but we need to intercede for those, and particularly those who cannot or will not pray it for themselves, because sometimes you can't, and you need others in that moment to carry you and pray it for you. So be open to that, would you? Just be open to allowing the Holy Spirit to just place that name, that face in your mind that he would ask you to carry this prayer and carry that burden for And so I'd like to finish this morning by praying it for you. I thought that would be the best way to finish. Because really, my heart, and I I hope you can hear it, is that this would be real for you. This would be real. It's so much more than just intellectual knowledge, that you would be filled, that you would be able to grasp the love of Christ. So I want to pray this prayer for you as my brothers and sisters. And I pray that you can receive it wherever you're at in your faith journey. And uh, as we enter into communion, I think this is just something that can allow God's word and the reality of God's love and power to take deeper root in our heart. If you are open to receiving this prayer this morning, I want to invite you, even as you sit there, just to open your arms, just open your palms, and just in a posture of receiving from the Lord the reality of what these words contain, if you feel comfortable doing that. Let me pray. Let us pray together. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all 
the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.